Well, before anything was ever created in the tabernacle, God gave specific instructions for the people of Israel to give offerings and specific offerings that he commanded. Now, this is all very interesting. We're talking about offerings today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Ember. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are taking you through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We're doing it again. It's very, very exciting. Corey and Ryan are here to help us. Corey? I'm going to be taking a look at some early human building technology, some of the OG original building technology that we see even in the Bible. See it in Exodus chapter 5. So, more on that later, right? Today, my guest is nuclear physicist Dr. Jim Mason, and we're talking about the age of the Earth. Yeah, I love Dr. Jim Mason. He's an <laughs> awesome guy. Very good. Look forward to that, Janice. Today, a cheerful giver. All right. So, take your Bible guide and open it up to the page because we are getting to the place where we read some very specific things that the Lord commands us. Exodus 25, 1-9 Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. I can't think of a better program to talk about offerings. Can you? <laughs> a program about reading the Bible. Boy, this is interesting. Offerings are a very, very sore spot today, especially with inflation and everything happening. There are many who refuse to give offerings because they claim we're no longer under the laws of the Old Testament, but we're under the law of Christ and the new covenant. However, we need to remember that the old covenant was God's law. God's law established the heart and priorities of giving. That is the reason and the way we give. Now, the Bible is clear on this one point. We give today because God gave to us. Did you get that? We give because God gave to us. What did God give? Well, the gift of eternal life, for one thing, through his son, Jesus Christ. When we chose to follow his way and walk in his paths, our giving should be given from our hearts, willingly, cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. We need to keep in mind that Jesus Christ gave offerings. Now that's important. The question comes to us this way. What do we give to? Well, the answer to that question is simple. We give to where we hear and receive the word of God in teaching and in preaching 
and in worship. Teaching and preaching, of course, is in worship because teaching and preaching do not go without responses. And that's very, very critical, very, very important. Well, take your Bible guide, open up to today's passage, and when you do so, it's going to be great. This is the January Bible Guide. If you don't have your copy, man, you should get a hold of it. I'm telling you right now. Uh, but the most important book is the Bible. Uh, you can call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com or go to BibleDiscoveryGuide.com, BibleDiscoveryGuide.com, and uh, you can learn how to get the guide. And when we go there, we're going to learn about offerings. So, Father, we pray today that you would show us your way and teach us your path. We're going to talk about money and offerings and everything else. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name to hear you. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, the reason I bring this up is because it's in our reading today. And this is uh, Exodus chapter 25. It is absolutely fascinating. And as we read it, think about this. We need to understand what God is saying. Here's what it says in Exodus 25. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, okay, so let's clear this up. God is speaking here. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly, gives it with his heart, you shall take my offering. Now understand that's what God meant. So in other words, before anything was constructed, before the tabernacle was completed, before the altars were completed, before all of that, God ordered specific offerings to be given to him, but from a willing heart. Giving to the Lord is a central act of worship. Giving is not a form that we do when we go to church when we give the offering. And unfortunately, many pastors have not figured this out. It is an act of worship. And so it's very, very critical. Now, when we started a church in Orangeville, what we decided to do after praying was have boxes at the back and we prayed, our off, prayed over offering, Lord, speak to the people and help them in this form of worship. That's how we took our offering. And as they left, they gave. It was an act of their worship. Very important. Now, I'm not saying every church should do that. I'm saying that's how we did it. That becomes very, very critical. As we go forward, we learn something else. And this is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, ram's skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and these are to be set in the ephod and the breastplate. Now notice here that God told Moses what to receive in the offerings. God does not ask us to give what we do not have. Beloved, listen to me carefully. The Lord said to Israel, here's what I want you to give. Here's how it's given. And this is what I want you to do. God did not ask them to give something they did not have. God had given them everything. And he said, now this is what I want you to do. God was teaching them through giving. He was, 
He was enforcing their understanding of what it means to become a giving nation. Did you hear that? God was teaching what it means to become a giving nation. Through giving, God teaches us what it means to become a giving people. There's a lot of people I know who are not giving, let me tell you. But this is important for us to understand. God teaches us through giving because it is an act of worship. Now, here's what the Bible also says. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. In other words, God said to him, very important, God told Moses how to use the offerings given. Now, this is critical, okay? Pastors and leaders and church board members, listen to me carefully. God told Moses how to use the offerings given. We must not use the offerings for ourselves. We must use the offerings for God. I just need to tell you this. We need to pay attention, leaders, because we need to do what God does. Remember this. There's two things you need to remember. Thing one is the church is not yours. It belongs to Jesus Christ. You are simply stewarding. You are simply representing him. That's number one. You need to know that and understand it. Number two, you need to know and understand that the church doesn't do anything without clearly getting a message or hearing from God on it. You don't just go do things with the money you receive because that's very important. It's so easy to get lost in today's world with all the good things. we There's good things we can do and then there's God things we can do. Now, there's people who do the good things. Sometimes they're both, but God calls us to do the God things because the God things are always the good things. The God things are always the good things. So pastors, leaders, and deacons, and board members, and everything else, when you're making your decisions, you need to pray about it and seek God about it together. As the Holy Spirit tells the church leadership together, they need to pray and ask God to do it. Again, when I started the church, I told the board, I said, listen, I don't want to sign the checks. I'm in charge of the pulpit. I just want to make sure that I deliver the sermons. But here's the direction. And I, from the church, is directed by the pulpit. And that's where we teach God's word and show the people how to live. Beloved, that is the most important thing we must remember today. Now, from a biblical perspective, why do you think God made humans and apes look similar? Well, the same thing, same reason I think that there are similarities right through all living things, and that is we see a continuum, if you like, which speaks to us of one creator. If we're entirely different to every living, other living thing on earth, we had entirely different chemistry, entirely different everything, then we might think there's different creators. All right. 
right. Well, I said at the top of the program that we're going to be taking our cues uh, from a little bit earlier on in our reading. We're going to be taking them from Exodus chapter 5, where, of course, the Israelites get themselves into trouble with Pharaoh, and he tells them to make bricks without straw. So today, you and I are going to be taking a look at the building technology of mud bricks. Uh, I mean, it's it's one of the original building texts, I think, that, that humanity had, and depending on the area that you were living in, this was one of the most practical ways to get a building built. So take a look. Mankind has always looked to the world around him to survive. Building materials are no different. Caves, rocks, trees, and mud have all been used as natural and convenient resources to build shelter for basic living, protection, and awe-inspiring feats of architecture. The most accessible building materials vary from region to region, but one of the favorites of the Near East has always been mud. By amending already existing soil, long-lasting mud bricks can be created. Historically, these have been used throughout the ancient Near East, appearing even on the pages of the Bible. Beginning in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, baked mud bricks are cited as the building material of choice for the Tower of Babel. The enslaved Israelites in Egypt were employed in brickmaking and farming, and famously, the Pharaoh of the Exodus punished the Israelite brickmakers by refusing to supply their straw while demanding the same number of bricks be made. With several other mentions of mud brick in the Bible, and the physical remains of mud brick found all over the ancient Near East, their usage was commonplace and their production essential. Though today more modern materials are generally used in building projects, there is at least one reconstruction project that required an archaeological experiment to preserve a crumbling site. At ancient Tel Rehov in the Egyptian Nile Delta area, archaeologists set about to preserve a site by creating their own mud bricks to build supporting walls. The project was carried out in 2013 and served to not only preserve the site, but also test out just how how the ancient process would have gone. Using known ancient methods and scientific analysis of existing mud bricks at the site, the ancient process was mapped out. First, topsoil was collected and mixed with water to create mud. Second, straw was added to the mud as temper and mixed in by foot. Straw chaff is what specifically would have been used, procured either from threshing floors after the harvest or collected from fields. Either way, the straw would have been chopped into small pieces before adding to the mud. It gives the bricks an underlying structure that has been proven to create stronger, longer-lasting bricks. Third, the mud mixture received a good daily mixing by foot for several days and then was left for a few days to ferment. Fourth, the mud was then pressed into molds of the desired sizes and laid out on a floor dusted with an anti-sticking agent like sand, dirt, or more chaff. After a week of drying in the sun, the bricks were ready to use. In construction, mud bricks would be held together with mortar, and often the finished walls would be plastered over to create a seal of protection against the elements. Now, just like today, exact production of mud bricks could vary from region to region, and their drying could even be accelerated by baking in a kiln. 
So there we go. Some really interesting ways. I always like learning about how ancient people did the things that they did. I find it a really interesting window into the day-to-day -day life, and it's a bonus when it when it crosses over with direct biblical stories and biblical histories because then it provides a little bit of a deeper context for us to understand what's actually going on. Well, I think it's important also to remember that um, because I, I was watching a movie or not a, a documentary the other mm -hmm. night. Uh, about ancient peoples and they were so surprised at how they figured out how to do everything and then they realized when they did some research on it that they were pretty stinking smart yeah i mean i mean what do they say they say necessity is the the mother, mother of, invention, of invention right yeah. and it's very true i mean when you look at when you take some time and you look at ancient people uh in different situations you see them developing technology based on what is the most convenient resource for them to harvest or for them to access what's the most renewable resource for them to use and um and and technology builds that way so it's really interesting looking at like ancient Mesopotamia and see how they built mostly with mud bricks. And the same with Egypt, they built mostly with mud bricks. And then you look at the Levant and, and, and Israel, and it's it's mostly stone, right? Because there's an abundance of stone there um, and, and just a little bit of wood that's used. So depending on the area of the world that you're looking at, the, the technology is going to develop a little bit differently based on what resources are available. Very but mankind's always been really good mm -hmm. at stuff like that. Yeah, I think so. It, it's just it's just fascinating as you, as you begin to look at it and see these things. That's excellent. Okay, Ryan, you're up. All right. Well, yesterday I introduced you to my friend, Dr. Jim Mason, and he told us about his testimony of how he became a Christian and how God has been able to use his training in physics to speak to some of the big issues related to science and faith. And one of these issues is the age of the earth. And most people are under the assumption that the various dating methods scientists use prove that the earth is millions and billions of years old. But Dr. Mason sheds some light on this issue by explaining the problems and uncertainties with these methods. And before I play the interview, I just want to let you know that Dr. Mason has written an excellent chapter on this subject in the book called Evolution's Achilles Heels, which is available from Creation Ministries International. And you can get that at creation.com. Here's the interview. I want to talk about the radiometric dating because a lot of people are under the impression that these various dating methods prove that the Earth and the universe are millions and billions of years old. But most don't most dating methods show just the opposite? Well, the dating method, the, the dating approaches fall into, for me, fall into two categories. One is the, the uh, techniques that are used to date rocks, and the other is the techniques that are used to date uh, biological material, and that's using carbon-14. Mm. Let me talk about the other ones first, um, because they are the ones that are typically used to measure the billions of years old age of the Earth, for example. And the issue I have with them is that they're based on a lot of assumptions about the past, which you cannot independently verify to be true. Um, they're not calibrated. I mean, most measurement tools, before you use them, you need to have them calibrated, like you, you go and buy meat at a grocer, the scales have to be calibrated. You can't do that because there are no calibration standards for million-year-old rocks or billion-year-old rocks. So they're not calibrated and they give inconsistent results. When you use them to measure rocks for which you know the age, particularly volcanic rocks, so you know when the volcano erupted, 
and that's the time from which they're supposed to age the rocks. They're all over the place. They don't get the right answer. And when you use several techniques that are supposed to get the same answer for the same rock, they don't. So they seem to be entirely unreliable, which suggests that a lot of the assumptions that go into the use of them are not correct. Carbon-14 is, is quite different. Um, the machines that are used in carbon-14 dating have a sensitivity such that if a sample theoretically is older than about 100,000 years, you cannot detect any carbon-14. But typically with samples like say coal or even dinosaur bones, you detect significant amounts of carbon-14. That wow. put the ages at something like 30 to 40, 50, 30 to 40,000 years old. Now that's based on other assumptions about carbon-14 dating. The most critical one of which is the amount of car the ratio of carbon-14 to carbon-12 in the atmosphere when the organism whose age you're trying to measure was alive. Because at that time, it's the carbon-14 to carbon-12 ratio in its body is the same as is in the atmosphere. And the assumption is that that ratio was the same then as it is now. I see. But if that was different, which I think it is, if you look at the biblical history, then the age estimates are quite wrong. And if you make the appropriate adjustments based on what's rational given the biblical history, the age drops dramatically to mm -hmm. about 4,500 years. So I had to end the interview there for now, just for the sake of time, but just to quickly finish what Dr. Mason was saying there, when you plug in biblical history and biblical assumptions, rather than naturalistic and evolutionary assumptions, which ignore biblical data, the dating methods are consistent with an age of only thousands of years. And notice that both creationists and evolutionists have the same facts, in this case, the rocks and the fossils, but they come to completely different answers regarding the age of them and the origin. Why? Because the rocks and fossils don't speak for themselves. We weren't there to witness their origin. So we have to interpret them based upon our view, our beliefs regarding the past. Now, as Dr. Mason pointed out, one of the problems with deep time, the deep time view is that the facts really aren't consistent with deep time. On the other hand, when we plug in biblical assumptions, the rocks and fossils are consistent with an age of only around 4,500 years. And why 4,500 years? Well, because that's around the time when Noah's flood occurred, and that would have been when the majority of the sedimentary rocks and the fossils therein were created. So the rocks and the fossils are a wonderful testimony to the reality of the global flood of Noah, and therefore to the truth of God's word. Now, if you want to hear more of what Dr. Mason has to say on this subject, then I highly recommend getting the book called Evolution's Achilles Heels, in which he's written a chapter on radiometric dating. And that book is available at creation.com. You know, it's really important because uh, that book is excellent. Absolutely excellent. There's another book that I've read and I'm reading called The Deep Time Deception. Mm -hmm. uh, that is an outstanding book. And it's written by Dr. Robert Carter and Michael Ord, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it's, it great. Is a, it's a great it, book. Yeah. They can get that at creationministries.com as well. It's so creation.com, yeah. Creation.com as yep. well. So that's very, very important. So uh, take a look at that. Very interesting. Okay, Janice? Well, I don't know, Rod, if you remember, but when I was a little girl going to church and we would sit and there would be a special time in the service where it was offering time. And we would always say a prayer and then we would take up an offering. And, and as 
a little child going to Sunday school, we would sing a song. Dropping, 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 hear the pennies fall. Everyone for Jesus, he can have them all. And I remember being so excited. If I would find money under inside the couch, or if I was walking to school and I would find pennies along the way. Now in Canada, we don't have pennies anymore. I guess it would be nickels fall. <laughs> but I can remember just being so excited to be able to go to church and to put my offering in the pan as it went by, or in Sunday school, in the little Tupperware cup that would pass by. And that reminded me today in chapter 25 of Exodus, and it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. And that's what it reminded me of, of when I was a little girl, I was just so overjoyed to be able to take the things that I found, the things that I had, and to be able to give it to Jesus. And oftentimes it went to missionaries. I would hear about missionaries in other parts of the world that I couldn't go to as a little girl, but I knew by seeing the pictures that I, my little nickel or my pennies would add up and it would be able to feed the children or buy them school supplies or different things like that, bicycles for the missionaries to drive in or books. It was really exciting. And that's what it reminded me. And in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, because I know, Rod, oftentimes as we pastored the church, we would have people say, well, we don't need to live by the law anymore. We don't need to do what the Old Testament says by giving offerings. We don't have to do that. Do you see here what it says? Who gives it willingly with his heart. God still, when, when we give our lives to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, it's just a part of who we are, that we want to give. We want to be able to give to the work of the Lord so that others can know and learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says this, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So that, I just wanted to encourage people today that, you know, our lives really are a reflection. It's a testimony. God has given us everything. Yes, he has. And and so to be able to give back in, in, in even a small way is just so amazing. Well, I, I there's a lot of people who use it as an excuse. I'm not under the law anymore. I don't have to do that. I don't have to. And they're, they're using the law or they're using Jesus Christ or the Christianity as a reason to get out from under the law. And that's not why Jesus came. He came to fulfill the law. He gave. And He's the ultimate giver. The reason, and that's right. <laughs> we and can't the, give, outgive God. Exactly. The reason I give to God is because I love the Lord. Mm -hmm. And that's why I give. And that because, I mean, I just want to. And when, when we motivate ourselves by loving God, that changes everything. It's not that we have to do it for salvation. And no, our salvation does not depend on our giving. But our love for Jesus Christ, this is an expression of our love giving. And so uh, that's great. So keep that in mind as we carry on and study the Bible.
Today, we need to remember that Rumble is a great social media network, and you can go to it and watch this program and these programs perhaps you're watching on Rumble right now. Rumble.com, it is excellent. Look up Bible Discovery TV on Rumble, and it'll take you to this place. We also have a 24-7 live stream there. Now, listen to this. We need to pray. Lord, help me to follow your ways. Teach me your paths in money more than anything else. Amen.